I want to tell you a story, okay? Uh, most of you know uh, I'm a musician. I've been playing guitar for 25 years. My undergrad is in music. Uh, I started here at TNL. My way in was playing in the band. I love music, um, but uh, it wasn't always great. Uh, during the spring of my freshman year of high school, I thought that it would be a fantastic idea to try out for next year's beginning jazz band. Uh, had I played jazz before ever? No. But I thought playing guitar, if I could, I loved playing guitar, so if I thought if I could somehow play guitar for a class at school, that sounded like a best case scenario. So I, I signed up to audition and the music teacher handed me this list of things to prepare. And uh, I was taking private guitar lessons at the time, so I brought that list to my teacher. I said, here's everything that I need. Can you help me? And he was like, yeah. This is going to be so easy. And he was right. I nailed everything on that sheet. I felt super prepared as I walked into my audition a few weeks later. And uh, the first half of the audition went perfectly. Like, you have never seen such a perfect audition in your life for beginning jazz band in high school. The second half, though, uh, the music teacher put a lead sheet in front of me uh, to a song that I had never never seen, never heard of. I don't think I've heard it since. Um, with all these chords on it that looked crazy. They were things that I'd never seen before because jazz has weird chords, things like an E7 flat five, which isn't even that weird once you get into it, but when you've never seen it before, it's one of those strangest things you've ever seen. Um, there was this chord that said a C minus, which I got all A's and B's in school, so I wasn't used to seeing that on a chord sheet, but it didn't even mean that. It means diminished. Um, it looked like another language to me, and I froze. Uh, he puts this thing in front of me, and, and then he hits play on a CD, because this is the early 2000s, and he says to me, play along. And uh, again, I've never heard this song before. I have no idea what I'm looking at. I have no idea how to play these chords, and so I, I literally just froze. And after a while, the teacher sighed and, and restarted the track and stood up in front of me and like I had a music stand in front of me and he just kind of angrily pointed to the measure that we were at to try to help me know where we were in the song. Um, that did not help. <laughs> that didn't help at all. I still couldn't do anything. Eventually he just said, okay, and he turned the song off and he said, we'll, uh, we'll let you know. We'll post results next week. And I was like, cool, thank you. That was it. The audition was over and I felt so dumb. I felt so stupid. I felt like such a failure. I went home and sobbed for like two hours straight. Um, and I told my mom I never wanted to play guitar again. And I really meant it. This wasn't just like a tantrum. Like I never wanted to see a guitar again. I was so embarrassed and so gutted and crushed by this experience. A week went by and the day of the results being posted comes and I thought, I'll just go see. I, I know I didn't make it. Um, and so the teacher taped the results up on the door like, like you do when you like try out for a play. It was very much like that. Like they just put it up on the wall. And um, so I went up to look and <laughs> no one else tried out for guitar. <laughs> so <laughs> you're looking at guitar one of Grandview's 2002 to 2003 intro to jazz band right here. <laughs> That music teacher literally quit a few weeks later <laughs> after posting those results. And there's no way they're related. But I like to think that I was the straw that broke that camel's back. And he was like, let the next guy deal with this kid. Because <laughs> uh, I'm not. Anyway, the next year of school rolls around. And um, 
I still cannot play jazz guitar. Uh, you'd think that I'd put some time into figuring it out because it was such a traumatic experience. I didn't want another repeat humiliation, but I was a 15, 14, maybe even year old boy. Um, we cannot plan ahead. That part of our brain that can, you know, plan for the future, not there yet. So uh, it's a new school year, still can't play jazz, but we have a new music teacher. This is a music teacher that was not around for my audition, so he really has no idea <laughs> that I have no idea what's going on. And for some reason, two weeks into the school year, we have a concert. That makes zero sense to me. Um, and we're supposed to play like a jazz version of Hot Cross Buns. This is the worst song in the world. But um, it's only three notes. <laughs> so it, it's hard to mess up in theory. And the new teacher, who again, did not get to witness the profound glory that was my audition, decides that I'm going to solo um, over part of our rendition of Hot Cross Buns because for some reason there would be a solo in the middle of that song. Maybe it's just that everyone needs a reprieve. Um, and I was like, okay, sure, like I can do that. I can play notes. If I know the key, I can solo for you. That's not hard. All while I'm being like deathly afraid of repeating what happened between me and my former music teacher except in front of a full auditorium of people. So the night of the concert comes and because I'm so scared to fail, I just don't go. <laughs> I just didn't show up. I didn't tell my parents that we were having a show or anything. I just went about my life. And uh, the next day, <laughs> I hear that no one knew that I wasn't there until it was my turn to solo <laughs> and just nothing happened. Uh, the band was playing along. They got quiet for my solo and then just Just more hot cross buns. Um, I'm sure they were looking around like, what on earth is going on here? And I honestly wish that I had been there just to see that. Um, anyway, the next day, I went in early to see my music teacher and apologized. I felt really bad about it. Um, but I lied to him and told him I just forgot. And uh, not that I was too scared to risk the chance of failing again. And he was super annoyed, but he was like, it's fine. I'll give you another chance. Later that same day, I walk into the music room for jazz band and there's a kid sitting in my position holding a guitar. And um, it quickly becomes apparent that he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he can play things that I have never seen a kid in high school play uh, before. Uh, he can play jazz, <laughs> kind of important. He can play jazz really well. And the worst part about it is he's super nice. He was so nice to me, he could tell pretty quickly that I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, he tried to help me figure my stuff out for that class period, but I could see what was going on here. I realized the writing's on the wall, this guy's replacing me, and rightfully so. Um, needless to say, I dropped that class. Uh, rather than sticking it out to learn to do something new that is hard and scary, I just dropped the class. Uh, at this time in high school, when you dropped a class, I don't know if it's still this way, obviously, you had to get your teacher of the class that you're dropping to sign off on it, because they're supposed to try to like deter you from doing it. No, please stay in the class, let's figure this out. And I handed it to my teacher and he signed it right away. <laughs> he didn't ask me any questions, he didn't say anything, he's just like, yeah, okay. Um, but seeing this other person show up that is just so good at it, made me lose any motivation that I possibly had to try to persevere through this thing, because why humiliate yourself with the failure to reach a goal that someone else has so wonderfully mastered? That's how I felt. 
this guy is all really good, already really good at this, so why should I bother to struggle through this? And that posture, even in something as low stakes as this situation, that posture I've since learned is, is actually an example of sloth, what we call sloth, rearing its ugly head early in my life. Uh, tonight, as I said a little bit earlier, we're concluding a two-part mini-series mini on generosity. Um, we believe that God is love, and we believe that we are created in his likeness and image to reflect his love. And one of the best ways for us to do that uh, is by manifesting his love through being generous. Um, so most Tuesdays when our church gathers together, before the end of our gathering, uh, we pray a generosity prayer. Uh, because if there is anything that we would want to characterize our church, we would want it to be generosity. Um, and we begin to instill that generosity by making a prayerful declaration about it every time that we're together, believing that the words that we repeatedly pray together change us. They take root in our hearts and change the ways that we live. Um, we haven't done this in a few years, but most years during the month of November, we spend a few weeks digging into um, the meaning, practice, and character of generosity. Um, this year, we're talking about some of the enemies of generosity. Last week, we talked about greed. This week, we're talking about sloth. To be generous is to first battle against these things. So, uh, tonight we're talking about sloth. What is sloth? When you think of sloth, maybe you picture this. Adorable. How could that be a deadly sin? They're so perfect. <laughs> maybe you think uh, maybe something more like this. Just like someone completely vegging out. I actually feel terrible for this person because they probably have no idea that their picture's up on the internet when you Google sloth, but I threw it up here. Just someone indulging and laying around, like just doing nothing. Probably you think of laziness, right? That's not accurate. Uh, laziness can be the result of a, a slothful spirit, but sloth is not laziness in and of itself. So what is it? I think it's hard to capture in a simple definition. Um, so I'm gonna throw a bunch of ideas at you. Um, so just hang on. Um, many of these definitions and ideas are, are things that I got from a fantastic essay written by a man named William Willimon, which is such a great name. William Willimon. I liked it. Um, so what is sloth? Sloth is, sloth is often called the middle sin, the midday sin. It's the midlife sin. It's that sin that hits us hardest at a dangerous point in our journey when we're halfway there but not there yet. Sloth is that sin midway between all the things that drag us down in human life and all our attempts to pull ourselves out. That place where we start to think, this is taking a lot longer than I thought it would. Other people seem to be figuring this out um, in other ways. Should, should I, like, am I doing something wrong? Should I turn around and try something new? Is this actually working? Am I actually making progress? Is this actually worth it? Is any of this real? It's in this middle point that we can fall prey to sloth, where we slowly develop an unwillingness to take the trouble to believe. Rather than laziness, sloth looks a lot like apathy. Uh, Dorothy Sayers described sloth as the sin which believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, find purpose, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, only remains alive because there's nothing it would die for. It's that voice that whispers, what's the point? 
None of this matters. Your life is meaningless. It is death while still living. It's apathy joined with a sadness and cynicism, often a self-directed sorrow. Um, feelings turned away from God towards ourselves. The despair that comes from that sense of, of that, someone, that you are beyond God's help. You've tried all of this and nothing has worked. Sloth then is the sin that, that, that ref, of the sinner that refuses to be forgiven. The arrogance of believing that, that you are without hope or you are beyond help. It's that suspicion that when Jesus says, rise, your sins are forgiven, that he's lying to you. I think this is the dark side of where our, our doubts can lead. Uh, a despondency about God, a failure to actively believe that God is good and that God, God's goodness is for us. Sloth eats away at the soul. It extinguishes faithful fire and thus takes its toll, wearing down the soul by slow degrees. This slow wearing down, other than being torment, has implications for our lives. Um, we begin wondering if God is good or if he even exists at all. And if God doesn't exist, then, then none of this matters. And that leads us down some strange places. At first we think, well, if nothing matters, I can do whatever I want. And in that place, greed and gluttony are close by. If nothing matters, I might as well enjoy something <laughs> But as we push into that, that quickly devolves into, if nothing matters, then why do anything? Why bother? None of it matters anyway. It's not going to make a difference. Sloth steals your life by convincing you that nothing matters. It steals your joy by, by being unwilling to be troubled to believe what is right before your eyes. Sloth instills in us a sort of spiritual nihilism. That, that affects how we see others and ourselves. Sloth leads to a failure to use our gifts, our blessings. Instead, we start to see them as sorrows or just these meaningless things that happen to be part of our lives. It also affects our ability to see others' needs. If nothing matters, then, then there's really no reason to bother with the difficult work of trying to improve anything for anyone. We stop trying. <laughs> And eventually we stop even seeing needs around us because why bother? There's nothing more miserable than missing the life that we've been created to live because of our slothful spirits. It's hard to buy into the idea that, that you have been blessed in order to bless the world when you're unwilling to see the blessings in your life. It's really hard to be who you've been created to be to reflect God's love, to be generous when you're drowning in apathy and despair, when, when you believe that nothing matters, when you've lost all desire, when you, when you succumb to what Willimon describes as a slow, cowardly suicide. It's a really hard place to be. And if anything that I've said so far tonight describes your heart or your life right now or resonates with you in any way, I'm with you. I know exactly how this feels. This is probably the enemy of generosity and the enemy of life that I battle most. I see sloth hiding under the rafters consistently when I look back over my life. And unless I'm intentional, it's something that, that quickly makes inroads in my heart and drains the color from my life. 
So what can we do about it? What's the antidote for sloth? I think if we want to battle against this, we have to first understand something. Um, Sloth is ultimately a heart issue. Where greed, we, uh, we talked about last week, greed was about, is about control. Sloth is ultimately about protecting ourselves. It's often the result of us experiencing some kind of deep pain. You've gone through something traumatic yourself. You've watched someone you love go through something traumatic. Uh, you've watched your kids turn away from everything that you thought you'd instilled in them. You turned on the news. You've, you've paid attention to world events. Life is harder and less explainable than you were led to believe it would be. And in that place, it's sometimes easier to just give up hope, to stop trying, to stop pushing forward, to stop fighting, to stop believing in anything or anyone. So if if sloth is our defense mechanism against the world, against pain, how can we begin to push back against it? First, I think we need to stop hiding our pain. We need to talk about it with people. We need to uh, talk to people that we trust and and bring our pain into the light. When we hide it, we, we convince ourselves that no one cares about it. We can tell ourselves it's meaningless because we can, no one else acknowledges that it exists because we hide it from everyone, which only adds to our feelings of being meaningless. Stop ignoring, stop hiding your pain, bring it into the light. I think this includes our doubts about God and life and ourselves, anything. Don't hide your doubts. We talk about this a lot. We all doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. The presence of doubt doesn't mean that you have weak faith or that something's wrong with you or that you're in a crisis. It means that you think, and that's a great thing. It's a scary thing, but it's a good thing. Doubts are actually fodder for your faith. Don't hide them. Talk about them with people that you trust. The second thing we can do to battle sloth is is foster courageous hope. We need to develop a courageous hope that sustains in the face of the pain of the world. That insists on finding the joy in life, even in the midst of pain. This is something that we're going to be talking about more and more through the season of Advent that's coming up. Um, But tonight, I, I have two ideas for how we can begin to develop courageous hope. And the first is something that we've talked about a lot. It's being intentional and finding good in everyday life. You see what you're looking for. That is something that I believe maybe more than a lot of things I've heard. This has proved true in my life. You see what you're looking for. So look for good. (laughs) Practice being intentionally aware of joy in the littlest things in your life. The easiest way that I know to do this is to keep a daily list of things I'm grateful for. I'm not very good at doing this consistently, but that's okay. I don't need to be. I do it when I'm, I'm in those moments of despair and despondency, in those seasons. Practicing gratitude. We've talked about that a lot. Practicing and expressing gratitude. Um, it quickly and for me profoundly reveals the good that's right in front of me that I'm just refusing to see. When you start looking for it, you find it way more abundantly than you might think. Second, Create those moments uh, through acts of generosity towards others. You will absolutely start to find joy when you, when you, and, and gain hope when you bring joy and hope to others. Paul in Galatians 6 says this, 
Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. And he'll have to show for his life, all he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work within him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not hollow, let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. Pain is inevitable. Sloth or doubt is inevitable. Sloth does not have to be. It takes intentionality to not be fatigued in life, let alone doing good in life. And when you're caught in despair and life has lost its meaning, regain your life through simple acts of generosity to those around you. And as we come into the holiday season, there are, I think there are lots of opportunities for generosity all the time, but especially in this next season that we're coming up to. Um, we are working on opportunities for us as a community to be generous together in 2024. But in the meantime, uh, in two weeks, we're announcing our Christmas campaign. Every year, we try to pool some money together to give to outside organizations um, as an act of generosity as a church together, which we'll, we'll be telling you about um, in two weeks. But the ho holidays can be a really lonely time. So look around and reach out to someone that you know will be alone or feeling lonely. Send someone a little encouraging note. You have no idea how far that goes. Buy little gifts for people in your life that you might not normally buy gifts for. Send a meal to a family grieving their first holidays without a loved one, or dealing with a newborn, or both. Start to develop hope again. Regain your life through simple acts of generosity to those around you. It is no accident that we are talking about this just as we're about to move into Advent, the season of hope and joy. Your life matters. Your life is meaningful. Your life is worth living now, today. Don't abandon your life to protect yourself from pain. Don't, don't trade your life for a slow, cowardly suicide. Don't forfeit joy in place of emptiness. Be intentional to look for good. Be intentional in creating good and joy and hope. For others. And as you do, watch your hope slowly grow as you courageously face your pain and infuse joy into the world. That's my hope for us, individually and certainly as a community, that we would be a place that is known um, for easing suffering and infusing hope and joy into the world. A place that generally lives out our calling, that we are blessed to be a blessing in the world, that we are generous people. So, to finish this little series on generosity, I would love if you would uh, pray our generosity prayer with us. Again, this is something that we do regularly um, to together set our intentions towards being more generous people and showing up and manifesting God's love in the world through generosity. So would you pray along with me? All that we have, we have received from God. We bring nothing into this world and we take nothing out of it. We choose to follow the way of Jesus and increase in generosity until it can be said, 
there is no one in need among us. We choose to be faithful stewards of all our resources, relationships, time, possessions, and money. We choose to be generous because our Father is generous. And as his daughters and sons, we want to show the world what he is like. Amen.